Spectrums next. Welcome to Spectrum, the science and technology show on KALX Berkeley, a bi-weekly 30-minute program bringing you interviews featuring Bay Area scientists and technologists, as well as a calendar of local events and news. Hi and good afternoon. My name is Brad Swift. I'm the host of today's show. Our guest today is Peter Gifford, President and Chief Technical Officer of Cryomech Incorporated, a manufacturer of cryogenic refrigerators for industry and research. Peter was visiting the West Coast, and we took the opportunity to talk with him. Peter's father, William E. Gifford, co-invented the Gifford-McMahon cycle with Howard McMahon in the late 1950s, while they both worked at Arthur D. Little Company. The Gifford-McMahon cycle is a unique method of reliably providing closed-cycle refrigeration at temperatures below 10 degrees Kelvin, which is minus 452 degrees Fahrenheit. The Gifford-McMahon cycle became an important standard for the semiconductor industry. It was also vital to the early U.S. space program by cooling microwave amplifiers in ground stations for satellite communications. Peter Gifford talks about cryogenics and the integration of science, engineering, and manufacturing. The day of the interview, Peter had a bad cold and his voice is scratchy. Rick Karneski also joins me for the interview. Peter Gifford, welcome to Spectrum. Well, thank you. Good to be here. Peter, give us an overview of cryogenics. The basic definition that I use is all the temperature range from liquid natural gas colder. That's about a, you know, about 120 Kelvin. And what are the large-scale applications of cryogenics? I wasn't around in the early 1900s when the early work was, but I think what they were trying to do was they were trying to separate liquid air into oxygen and nitrogen. They were trying to get oxygen so they could make fire hotter for steel manufacturing. During the Cold War, it started to be we wanted to see what the Russians were doing. So we had these satellites, and they'd send down these very faint messages from satellites, and the receiver's temperatures had to be reduced low enough so we could reduce without noise that vibration of the atoms in the crystal so we could see Leonid Brezhnev's cool pack of cigarettes in his pocket at the wharf in Vladivostok, you know, that kind of stuff. That's when the Gifford-McMahon cycle refrigerators started coming out. And with those small refrigerators, the next thing that happened was as all the material scientists and other physicists wanted to use cryogenics in laboratories, they found that they could start to recognize more stuff, more interesting physics in their samples at low temperatures. Then after that, they started pumping vacuums with things called cryopumps. Every chip manufactured in every phone, television, anything is made in a cryopumped vacuum with a Gifford-McMahon-type cryopump on those things. 
We didn't make all that money, so I've had to work for a living. The next big application was cooling MRI magnets. When you go in those MRI things, they slide you in there, and they have that sound. That's a cryo refrigerator. It's recondensing liquid helium. That's 4 Kelvin. It cools the magnet in there. It's just a little distance away from your body. And then after that, there'll be a few things coming out with high-temperature superconducting in the future. But right now, uh, as far as HTS, high-temperature superconducting applications, the people don't really know yet. And what does Cryomech do in particular for this industry? What Cryomech does is we manufacture cryo refrigerators. That means we take heat out of something so that it can reach cryogenic temperatures below 120 Kelvin. See, our refrigerators at our place go down to 1.7K. It's a very simple device. What my father's invention was is he separated an integral cryo refrigerator with the compression part of it and the expansion part of it right together. He separated the two and made them more reliable. And you could use off-the-shelf air conditioning parts in the compressor while you made the expander device very particular, a very controlled environment. That's what we do our specialty. We've got 32 different cryo refrigerators and 54 different products based around them. The area of cryogenics then that that you work in, how do you describe that? We sort of spend most of our time looking for the new applications. So our manufacturing models, we are open and flexible to new opportunities, and then we can manufacture our cryo refrigerators efficiently so we can make money and stay in business. And what are some of the unique features of these? Are they larger volumes, or do they get down to the lower temperatures? Or Well, people say small cryocoolers. Small cryocoolers might be anything... It's hard to describe. We're talking in watts here, folks. A watt is one joule per second of heat being taken out of an object. Okay, so we go down to maybe a half a watt up to like 600 watts. Big air separation plants is large cryogenics, you know, for big research institutions where they're talking megawatts. We're talking very small in terms of capacities. I don't know if that defines it. That's a very tough definition. Do you want to go more into the innovation of your father's invention? My father's basic innovation was back there in 1955-56. He had been working down in uh, the Redstone Arsenal down in Huntsville, Alabama for the start of NASA. Uh, where they had the Germans brought in to make rockets and rocket fuels or liquid hydrogen, liquid oxygen. And so we left there. We'd come in from Boulder, Colorado. We left there and went up to Boston uh, precisely so that my father could work on making smaller cryocoolers. So this big integral thing that would take about the size of an average living room could be a more portable thing. So they could set up these receivers for these satellite systems all around. And so to do that, he's, this separation is really the Gifford-McMahon cycle. And uh, it, was, it was quite re- unique. It, it allowed people to have cryo-refrigerators anywhere you want them. Right now, cryo-refrigerators are on the South Pole, on the North Pole, on icebreakers. I've got them you know, under tents in Ethiopia making liquid nitrogen for artificial insemination purposes for producing milk.
Our guest today on Spectrum is Peter Gifford, the president and CTO of Cryomec Incorporated. In the next segment, Peter talks about making cryo refrigerators. This is KALX Berkeley. What kind of balance between making new instruments and selling these new instruments versus supporting instruments that you already have out there do you have? The drive of our customer is pretty much to buy a unit that will run as long as it can go. When I first got in the business, if you made a cryo refrigerator that ran for 5,000 hours, that's, you know, the year is 86, 70 or something, it was considered good. Then it went to 10,000 hours. Then it went to 20,000 hours about the year 2000. Now we're surpassing 30 and moving up to 40,000 hours. Meantime, between any maintenance on these devices. So that's what people expect from cryo refrigerators. In course of running the company over these many years, how has the manufacturing process on your side changed? We keep on adding more products, but the basic products have stayed the same. What has happened is as we made more, instead of going from one a month to one a week to one a day to now three a day, coming down the line trying to build the capacity – you can focus as you get to bigger numbers and start to focus on different places. you got more people, and you can start to recognize what it is that you ought to be doing at different places. It's hard to see everything when you're small and you're just doing a few things. It's, it's amazing. Uh, right now, my key word is the word recognize. I'm seeing things clearly. I'm recognizing things a lot clearly in the manufacturing process. Plus, i got a lot of people out there that are paying attention. What kind of challenges are you most interested in solving? Are they some of the managerial stuff or some of the stuff on the sales side or some of the engineering and technical challenges still? I wonder whether or not I've ever separated those. Mm -hmm. There are some interesting things coming at us again. Recently, we've instituted a new quality management system where – we're defining what we need. We're training people better than we audit people. We've gotten a lot better. It's very interesting, these sort of soft sociological things that you do at a company that gets the employee more – the employee starts to feel more included. And it's amazing how the whole foundation of the company's quality rises. It's been unique to witness for the last year. So I guess what I'm saying is is I like the manufacturing production side of it. Peter, when you joined the company, at what point in that process did you feel comfortable with the engineering aspects of the? I went back and finished a lot of the engineering courses I hadn't had in my truncated scientific training. I asked my father if I needed to get a full mechanical engineering degree, and he said, no, don't waste your time. Comfortable with the technology, maybe only in the last 10 years. So that means after 27 years or so messing around. People contact us from everywhere, from malaria research in Malawi, needing to have a small liquid nitrogen plant, 
people talk to us through technical issues. I think what you do when people talk to you and try to ask you how they can use cryogenics or can their cryogenics connect to what they need, it took a while to accept that what I was doing, just listening well, was the best thing I could bring to a field. Then the other thing is, if somebody really needs something and if they're good, they will take the time to explain it to you clearly. You are listening to Spectrum on KALX Berkeley. Our guest is Peter Gifford. In the next segment, he talks about research funding. Have you learned anything from other cryogenic companies? I have seen cryogenic companies that spent a lot of money on developing products that people didn't need and wondered why they didn't need them. I've seen cryogenic companies, you know, make a good product that I'm sort of, you know, I miss the boat on. But how do you say the relationship of watching your competitor move? I don't know. I don't know how to answer that. We don't spend a lot of time reverse engineering. I think historically people have been copying us most of the time. And do you see any gaps that the industry as a whole has to push through? Well, you know, there are things that I would like to do. The thing is, is the question is whether or not somebody needs them. I guess my head is really stuck there. When you're running a business, do you do what you want to do or what your customers need? And I think the answer to that is pretty simple. If you there is, but there, there is sort of a school of thought of pure engineering that you build it regardless of whether or not it's going to have any application or anything like that. It's just because it's sort of a spiritual thing that you have in you. You've got to build it. And there are some people that yeah, don't well, necessarily think, make money out well, of it. That's, but. that's something that historically the government labs were used for. Hmm. Here we go. Let's look and see if we can do that. I would like to make a little statement here. The federal government is not funding research in the United States anywhere on any levels equal to Korea, the Europeans, anywhere. We have fallen behind. What it was like in the 60s and the 70s when this country was on fire, the money has been taken away from it. This idea that basic research will be done at corporations, it is not corporations' job to do basic research. That whole space race, that uh, paranoia about the communist bloc, that stuff's gone. What is motivating it now? I go to Korea. Somebody took me to a university that was being set up, 20,000 students. He told me they're putting up a new one every five years. They had the latest you know, electron microscopes, the latest big cryogenic plants and recovery systems. And so I'm going, wow, that isn't happening in the United States. This idea that you don't have to fund this, that's what made America really good at that time. It's just it was all hidden from the average person's line of sight. Fund research. 
fun universities. And hopefully some of that will trickle down to you, too. Some of it will. Right now, I would say most of our business comes from people who actually make products. I'm thinking more about learning what the next applications are. That early Gifford McMahon cycle refrigerator was funded by the government trying to read messages off of satellites for defense. There's all kinds of stuff, early computers, the chip manufacturing, everything. It was being funded some way that way. Where do you see research happening now in cryogenics? Are there institutions and organizations that you follow, that you look to? NIST is still spending quite a bit of money on cryogenic research. That's the old National Bureau of Standards. We've not seen that much at university labs. Has the research gravitated overseas? Our strongest competitors we have is basically a company in Japan. Everybody's sort of wondering when there's going to be a Chinese company making cryogenic refrigerators of our type. They haven't seen them yet. That could be a real game yeah, changer. But there were a lot more cryo-refrigerator manufacturers in the 80s and 90s, and some of them have left the picture, consolidated under that one big company. So they got bought up, basically. Yeah. Or the business took too long to get big for the investors to wait for. How much of the engineering do you now sort of pass off to others, and how big is the engineering team at Cryomech? Right now, we have eight engineers at Cryomech. We should be more like 15. We've been having trouble hiring people. We like to get people two different types, somebody with a lot of experience deep in, in cryogenics. But most of the time, we want to get raw mechanical engineers directly out of school, somebody with an open mind and with uh, good practical tool sense. The chief technical officer, part of my job, everybody calls me an entrepreneur now. An entrepreneur, really, the form that I am, who sort of grows with a company out of nothing, we don't really know what we do. You don't really know all the things you do because you take it on naturally to be successful. You're not really that aware of it. But one of the things as I'm pulling back, I recognize how they need my scientific recognition in the different aspects of the business. I hope that's not getting too conceptual. You know, you have an engineering perspective as whether or not form, fit, and function, is it doing what we need? You know, you have the technical perspective, the people whose hands are actually touching the device on the line. You know, you have the financial officer that's always looking over the shoulder. But in a technical business that's innovative, you don't want them running the show, but you want them to be aware of what's going on. You know, and then there's my point from the chief technical office and just the business thing. Can we do this? Do they get it? Is their training getting in it? Is the quality being held up? That's sort of there are different birds of prey. How about birds of friendship sort of soaring over the situation, recognizing what ought to be done there at any moment on the production line? So that's, I think, my most important job. And also trying to figure out strategically where we go next. Spectrum is a public affairs show on KALX Berkeley. Peter Gifford is a cryogenics engineer and our guest today. In the next segment, Peter talks about engineering and the stimulation it has brought to his life. 
what sort of technology changes happened over the the years you've been running Cryomac that affected your business? I would say the most important one for us is the internet. The internet allowed us to market and then communicate with people by email. When I first got into the business, the only way to send a drawing or try to figure out what somebody needed from you was through the mail. Then it went to telexes, then it went to FedEx, then it went to fax machines, and now with the internet, it's just amazing. If you've got a drawing, you can send it to anyone on the planet real quick. And I'd say roughly about 60 to 65% of our business is overseas. In terms of other things, CNC machines, material manufacturing. What is a CNC? CNC is computer. It basically, it's computer machining your devices, you know, your pieces and stuff. Temperature sensors have been better. Vacuum equipment is getting better. What's happening is a lot of the equipment that you were working with in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, and 80s have matured. People have been making them for a longer period of time. And that maturation in uh, mechanical devices is it just gets better with time. That's just the way it is. Unless, you know, the front offices are taking the value out of the product. You talked a little bit earlier about what you look for in a, in a young engineer, a new engineer out of school. Do you want to go into that a little more? And uh, do you think that people are maybe getting too much pressure to go to a Ph.D.? I'm not that interested in hiring a Ph.D. in what we're doing right now. I have a Ph.D. in-house who's the cryo-refrigerator expert. Really getting into a career in, you know, making work, you know, you got to be there on the job. Most of the Ph.D. work is laboratory work anyway, at least it is in mechanical engineering. You know, it's that integration between the science and the actual thing that's getting made. That is the important thing. And if you're in the laboratory studying, not getting out there where it's being made, then you miss all that. Best thing to do is get out there and start doing it right away. It's pretty obvious when you start working with people, whether or not they've got the courage to use their intelligence, you know, whether or not they're going to work on their communication skills, whether or not they're going to start to recognize the important stuff. You see it. Go out there and get involved. I would recommend sooner than later. Don't be so timid. A lot of people are timid to get involved in the workplace. And are you looking for people that have bachelors of science or master's degrees? Right now, we'd, we'd be happy with bachelors of science. And that falls into that whole idea of get started, get going, yeah, get into the mix. We have a lot of very interesting applications. We recently hired three engineers all about three years ago. And all three of those young guys are absolutely swamped with new things to learn. And they're just alert. They're sort of running around. They're not sitting behind computers drafting. They're like getting a drawing, going out there, doing something, traveling, answering a service question from Kazakhstan about a liquid helium plant. They're calling up a vendor and talking about vacuum equipment. They're learning about thermal conductivity and thermal radiation, they're using size. My father once said to me, he said, Peter, you know who the real enemy is? I go, what? I didn't even know what he was talking about. And he said, boredom. Boredom's the enemy. 
And since I've been involved in cryogenics, I'm just not bored. I'm uh, 63, and people are saying, oh, you're going to step back from business now? And I will tell you this, I am afraid of stepping back from the intellectual stimulation of the business. You know, some of the stress, managing all the people on the floor, yeah, but the intellectual vigoration of it, no. I don't know if I can step back. I think it would be self-destructive. You know, I've been in this business since 1973, and I happened in it because my father had this little company. He was a full-time college professor. So I started making refrigerators. I graduated from high school in 1966 from the best high school in Syracuse, New York. Not one of the other people in that graduating class, as far as I've been able to see, did anything in manufacturing. Everybody became doctors, lawyers, some other type of businessmen or professional types. I'm the only one who went into manufacturing. And in the 80s and the 90s and early 2000s, everybody thought I was an idiot to be trying to manufacture cryogenic refrigerators in upstate New York. And uh, it's been a great career for me. It's just very, very interesting. We built the company up to 105 people. We've been profitable since 1988. Well, it's been a very good life. And I'm very pro-manufacturing, and I don't think that the United States is going to get back on its feet again until people start manufacturing a lot more stuff and seeing it as a reality. We can manufacture. Pete Gifford, thanks very much for coming on Spectrum. You're welcome. Spectrum is archived on iTunes University. We've made a special link to make it easy to get to. The link is tinyurl.com slash K-A-L-X Spectrum. For this archived version of Spectrum, we are foregoing the calendar and news. The music heard during the show was written and produced by Alex Simon. Thank you for listening to Spectrum. We are happy to hear from listeners. If you have comments about the show, please send them to us via email. Our email address is spectrum.kalx at yahoo.com. Join us in two weeks at this same time.